When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, JJ Redick here. Welcome to my first podcast here on The Vertical. Very excited about it. My guest this week is none other than Jared Dudley. We're going to talk a ton of hoops. We're also going to talk about our four most overrated things. I'll be making a statement on Blake Griffin. Please stay tuned. Here we go. Yahoo Sports presents The Vertical Podcast with JJ Redick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Hey, everybody. This is J.J. Reddick. Very, very excited about this podcast, the Vertical Podcast, being the first current NBA player with his own podcast. It's a very cool thing. I was very excited post-game today. We beat the Chicago Bulls. I got in my car. I headed home. I got to my house and... Every house on my street was without power. So I called some people, everybody that I knew was without power in Manhattan Beach and El Segundo here in L.A. So I had to drive over to the Clippers practice facility, and I'm recording this podcast in the media room because it's one of the few places where an Ethernet cord actually works in the Clippers practice facility. Shout out to all the Clippers beat writers. One of the things I want to address right away about having a podcast is that I'm a player first. I take my job as an NBA player very seriously. The amount of preparation that goes into my day just to play a game is hours, not just physically, but mentally. The amount of emotion I put into a game, a practice, whatever it may be, that is my job. It's something that I cherish and I love to do. My priority, number one, is being the best basketball player that I can be. Now, a typical week for this podcast should be about an hour or so of prep time and probably 30 to 45 minutes to record. So you're talking about less than two hours of my week that will be consuming my time. So I feel like I can do both, and I can make this podcast a lot of fun, and we will have a lot of fun on here. But I'm an athlete first, and I will do that. Now, I've got to figure out where to make up that lost time. I've got a 16-month-old son at home. I've got a job. I've got a wife. So chances are I'll be reading a lot less blogs about watches and spending a lot less time on forums about watch collecting. So that's kind of the area of my life that is going to take a backseat to this. My intention with this podcast is is really to be as open and as honest as possible. It's something that I've always felt like I've done with the media. I've been open with them. I've not given them stock answers. I've tried to avoid cliches as much as possible. Sometimes it's kind of hard, but I try. And so I want to be honest. I want to be open. I want the guests, whether it's players, executives, coaches, I want them to be open and honest. And I want this to be a conversation about basketball, about life, about pop culture, whatever it may be. So if we're going to be open and we're going to be honest, then given what's going on in the news right now, I feel like there's one thing that I should address right away. And and that's the Blake Griffin situation. I wasn't there that night, so I don't have all of the details. I will say that Blake is a friend. Blake is a teammate. I have his back. We can't be who we want to be as a team without Blake Griffin. So the sooner he gets back, the better off we'll be as a team. And uh, once he is healthy and he's, you know, paid his penance, whatever that may be, we'll welcome him back with open arms. Now, moving on to this week's episode, I'm very excited to welcome my first guest, Jared Dudley. And when I first found out that I was going to have my own podcast, a lot of thought actually went into who my first guest would be. And I didn't know if I should have a teammate. I didn't know if I should have a coach. I didn't know if I should have somebody that had nothing to do with basketball. But ultimately, I settled on who I think is the best candidate, and that's Jared. He's a friend. He's a former teammate. And he's someone that always speaks his mind. So I'm looking forward to beginning this conversation with Jared Dudley. Jared, I really appreciate you joining me as my first guest on my podcast. I feel honored. 
I mean, you, should. you could have chose anywhere. I chose could me. have chose anyone. Let me ask you a question. When you first found out, I think it was through me, but when you first found out that I was getting my own podcast, what were your initial thoughts? A little shocking, but I know that you have having conversations with you in the past that you wanted to kind of possibly branch over to this media type. You know, I don't know what it would be in media, but possibly getting into this, you know, after basketball. But, you know, to do a podcast, you know, I, being on a couple I've done, you know, it's time consuming and doing this and you having to hock down people like myself. So when you did it, I was like, man, I think it's going to be something unique that hasn't been done where, you know, you're a current NBA player who's good, who's going to talk about topics like this, man. I thought it's unique and it's going to be a, it's going to be different. I think people are going to love it. Thank you. You know, you, you brought up being a part of the media or doing something in broadcasting afterwards, and that's definitely something that I'm interested in. Uh, but that's also something that you're interested in. I know when you were in Phoenix, you became famous for JMZ, a, a kind of a Jared Dudley take on TMZ and posting videos and interviews with your teammates. And, and during the summers, you've been on first take quite a number of times. Is that something that you're still serious about, that you still want to pursue post-career? Possibly. You know, I always try to, I mean, I think we all try to do stuff that we love, and I, I love the aspect of talking about sports, debating, arguing, and, you know, with ESPN or Yahoo or Fox Sports, you have so many different networks that you can possibly live at and, and, and build your brand. For me, it's something that I, I want to give myself an option to and also possibly coaching. And uh, I'm, I'm more serious about college coaching just for the stability and having an option. If you're successful in college, you can go to the NBA, unlike vice versa. So, yeah, I would say it's 50-50 between becoming a college basketball coach or going into the media and doing that full-time. Right, right. Well, so it's definitely something in basketball that you want to do. I can remember when we were teammates in, in L.A., you, myself, Jamal, and Willie Green uh, used to sit on the bus and, and put our GM caps on, and we'd run through scenarios, whether it was trade scenarios, extensions for different guys as they came up at the end of their rookie contracts or whatever. Do you have any interest in, in working in a front office when you're done? You know what? I didn't. But the more and more that I talk about, like, you know, like how, how we talked on the bus and all that, sure. I do that with every team and different stuff and, right. you know, and, and also in interviews, people have hinted about being a GM. My only thing is the process and the steps. It's kind of what are the process and steps of, of becoming a GM? You know, it's easier for me if I want to get into broadcasting, if I want to work, you know, ESPN or Fox Sports, if I want to be behind the desk with GM. I don't know if there's a blueprint for that. And usually it takes a long number of years of putting in to be able to get to that job. So I would try to you know shy away from that, but I would not say it's out of the question. You know, I think it's all about situation. So, you know, you talk about college coaching. I'm sure at some point BC would love to have you, and, and you could probably jump right in and become a head coach with no prior experience. Uh, I don't know if you can do the same in the general manager role. And in today's NBA, I think, too, it's like you got to find the balance in the right situation where the basketball voice matters and, and the analytical voice matters as well and, and finding that balance. And I think the best front offices right now are the ones that are doing that. Jared, I want to I go back a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit more about putting GM caps on a little bit later. But I want to go back and talk about when we first met. I believe you had just completed your sophomore year at BC. I had completed my junior year at Duke, and we were invited to participate in the tryouts for the U21 World Championship team. Two things really stood out about you. Uh, number one, your cornrows. They were amazing. And number two, you kept saying, I, just, I remember this, you kept saying over and over again, you must have said it 20 times in the 10 days that I was around you, you, must, you said, I'm just using this as a stepping stone. And for a guy like me, like I, I didn't think about the NBA. The NBA was not really on my radar. Like I grew up such a Duke fan that, you know, even when I was at Duke, it was it was all about Duke basketball. You know, I was going into my senior year not thinking 
oh, I'm going to play in the NBA next year. I was thinking like, how do I, how do I figure out, you know, maximize my ability and hopefully become an All-American and hopefully win a national championship. That, that was my mindset. When did you have that mindset? Like, I want to play in the league. I'm going to play in the league. Uh, because you were a lightly recruited player, correct me if I'm wrong, coming out of high school. Uh, you, you went across the country from California to BC. And outside of probably the Big East, you weren't necessarily a huge household name in college basketball up to that point. Yeah, I think all all kids growing up, that's, that's your goal. It was my goal, and I knew there was no other sports. I mean, I played baseball, soccer, flag football, if you want to count that, uh, growing up. But you know what? Every year I got better. In high school, I won two state championships when I was in San Diego my junior and senior year. I was player of the year in San Diego. I thought I had an outside chance then. Got into a great situation. A lot of it, as you know, is that you got to find the right school in B.C., for even though I know they're not doing well now, at that time was pretty good, and they were in a great conference, getting ready to switch over to another great conference. And when we changed to go to ACC from the Big East, I was coming off first team all Big East yeah. my sophomore year, and that's yeah. when I knew I was yeah. an NBA player to the point where, hey, I've seen everyone, I've seen the competition. Now I have to mold my game. Mm-hmm be able to adapt to the NBA because athletically I won't be there. And at that time, I, I wasn't known as a shooter. I was known as an energy hustle, hardworking guy. So my junior, senior year, I really worked on expanding my game of my jump shot to be able to play more of a three than a four. Because back then, compared to you know the small ball now, a tweener was a bad thing. Oh, well, he doesn't right. have a position. Uh, he's a, right, is he a right. three, is he a four? So for me, was I wanted to be able to shoot the ball where, hey, he could be a three and D guy where being undersized, um, small four, power four was looked negatively. Right. I mean, you had an outstanding college career, uh, both in the Big East and in the ACC. You were ACC player of the year, your senior year. What stands out the most when you guys made that transition from the Big East to the ACC? What stands out the most in your mind, the differences between the two conferences? Big East was so much, so much more physical in the sense of, like, that's what they were known for. The refs were um, they were so used to the coaches, just like the ACC is also, but they, they let you play a little bit more banging down low. They weren't going to give you any cheap fouls of how that was. It was, it was such a – I remember after games, you know, granted I was a freshman and sophomore there compared to junior senior year in the ACC, but I just remember it was more of a grind-out type of game. And when I played in the ACC – so much, a little bit more athletic, spread the floor. You guys were obviously at the top. North Carolina could spread it out. Wake Forest could spread it out. It was just Clemson's athletic ability, Georgia Tech. It was just a more free-flowing game. And initially, we actually did pretty good because it was it was like you know, a table of different contrasts where we were trying to do the flex tight and right, right. spread it out. So when we could make teams play our style, it would mess them up because they weren't used to it. So we kind of brought the biggies there and – Overall, we were successful in doing that, but I just think that it was so much more hype in the ACC, better arenas when it comes to the crowds, right, right, a little bit more TV exposure. Speaking of hype and, and better crowds and arenas, we had two pretty memorable games against each other my senior year and your junior year. I think about halfway through the ACC slate, we went up to Massachusetts and played y'all on a Wednesday night ESPN game. I can remember the crowd was rocking that night. And uh, we got ahead a little early, and, and y'all made a run. And as we were coming towards our benches during the timeout, the Coach K called, your guy Sean Marshall would not get out of my face. He just keeps, <laughs> he just kept yelling at me. And I, and I made, like, the classic, like, this is my look that I make at people. It's, I mean, I, I'm looking at you being an asshole, but you know, I'm looking at him like, what what are you doing? Like, was he your hype man? Because you are a hype man. And, and was he the hype man? Like, how, how was that relationship? I, yeah, you know what? He, he was an emotional player. Yeah. He was supposed to be our shooter slash defensive physical specialist at that time defensively. And you, at that time, I mean, in college, everyone knows about your scoring ability. I mean, you were averaging like close to 30, if I remember. And we couldn't stop you. And the whole offense was predicated you coming off screen. So I, I believe his strategy was like, hey, we can't stop this guy. Let's get physical with him. Let's try to get in his head mentally, scream at him. And when you play Duke, it's a totally different atmosphere yeah. than any other team. People sure, are camping sure. out days before yeah. the game for the ticket. So 
that we crowd, felt like when we went on the road, like we, it was like a traveling show, you know. Yes. At that, t- and I don't know if it's still like that in college basketball, but when we went on the road, like it was standing room only. It was always nationally televised. Students were camped out. Explicitives were being yelled at me. Like it was, it was awesome. It was intense. It was great. Uh, and that game really stands out. The other game that stands out is the ACC championship game that we played against Shaw. You know, I played in four ACC championship games. That game by far was the most physical. Uh, the most hotly contested. I remember Paulus and your point guard, uh, what was his name? Lewis uh, Hennett, yes. Hennett, yes. They got into it right in front of our bench in the second half. Uh, we ended up winning by, I think, one or two points. I mean, it was, a, it was a crazy game. And if you look back at those teams, I mean, y'all had, I think y'all had more pros on the floor than we did. And even though that we were the favorites at the time, y'all had a team. Y'all had a squad that year. We were very good that year. We got to, I think, we beat Carolina to get to the championship, and we really thought we were going to win that game. We just thought that, you know, we figured out, you know, every time you play Duke, their pressure full-court defense kind of takes you because they deny everything. They kind of take you out of your flow. We worked on it, all the counters, how it was, and we thought that there's no way you could play the same type of game you did the first time. Um, we knew it was going to be a kind of a road game for us. I think it was in, like, Greensboro, so it was still Greensboro, that. yeah. But it was just back and forth, and you know. And I remember the scuffle. And I thought <laughs> after the scuffle, it kind of changed to your guys' advantage. I yeah. think I don't know if we were up. It was a very close game, but I just remember after that, I remember you guys going on a run, and it was back and forth. But you know what? That just shows you. I mean, about Duke basketball, where it's one of the most loved slash hated teams <laughs> for good reason because they're always good. They find ways to win the close time. I mean, I beat every team in the ACC except for Duke. <laughs> So y'all didn't beat us your senior year then? My senior year, no. We did okay. not. All right. That's no, all right, I lost. We, we did lost. Thank you for bringing that up. But yeah, no, no problem. So no problem. So you, you, you complete your senior year. You're ACC Player of the Year. You're an All-American. You get drafted 22nd by the Charlotte Bobcats. And you're now nine years into your NBA career. Looking back when you were drafted, was there a sense that you felt like you had arrived? What was your expectation level for your NBA career? My expectation, I wanted to play be 10 years. I knew I wasn't going to be a starter where, hey, I'm going to be a, you know, a starter throughout my, most of my career. I knew that, hey, you know, I have to find my niche. So it was like starting over again. Okay, now, Jared, you're a small forward. I was going. Jared Wallace was already there. They drafted Adam Morrison. I think he was the third pick the year before I even got there. Right. So yep. I'm coming into a situation, hey, I'm going to do the things that people don't want to do. In college, I wasn't considered a defensive guy. I was like, hey, I have to, to get on this floor. i got to be able to be a defensive guy, a guy at this time, even the NBA three, so, so much further back, I wasn't ready for that. I had to get offensive rebounds, dive on the floor, and I slowly started to do that. And the big turning point for me in finding my niche was getting traded to Phoenix where yeah. – it just like clicked where, hey, Jerry, this is what we do here. If you can't do right. this, if you can't shoot the three, you can't space it, you can't play it on our team. And because of that, basically getting traded and seeing how they practice. And I'm surprised a lot of teams don't do that now. I mean, even here I'm on you know the Wizards and we shoot the ball a little bit, but our shoot arounds and practices in Phoenix, man, we shot, we got hundreds of shots up. So, right. um, but yeah, that, those, you don't those feel like the owner, the onus should be on the player to do the extra work, or do you feel like shoot around should be? Because I think that's a struggle that a lot of teams have. I mean, I've played for Stan Van Gundy, where you're wearing knee pads and and you're fully stretching and you're going five on five for like an hour and shoot around. Uh, and then I've also played on Doc's teams where, God, we don't even practice you know right. so it's so you have to get your your work in even whether you're playing or you're not playing you got to get your extra work in i mean what's your take on that is, is the onus on the coach to make sure guys are getting shots or should the players have the responsibility and take responsibility hey i'm gonna i'm gonna do this on my own a little bit of both i mean obviously as a player you have to know what your strengths are but i would say the player development programs of the nba of teams have improved dramatically where teams are putting in so much money for ex-players or people that are in the yeah. player personnel yeah. of, uh, of helping develop players. So here in D.C., like you guys have in L.A. with Dave, we have uh, Dave Atkins here, who basically you have to be in the gym an hour and a half before practice where you're getting at least a half an hour of reps of stuff that you're going to be doing for our system, for our team. So for me, playing the forum, a lot of pick and pops, a lot of threes, 
And then during practice, we don't shoot a whole lot. So then afterwards, hey, do I need to get the extra shot? That's on me. So I, I do believe that it's personnel driven, but I guarantee you a team like Golden State, and I know how Kerr is, they shoot a lot of shots during right. practice. Right. I, you know, and I know that from his Phoenix days and how he is. So I think if you're Tom Thibodeau in, or Sam Van Gundy, you got the pads on and you're doing defensive all the time, <laughs> I think you'd be a better defensive team yeah. than if you're a team, yeah. you know, or if you practice shooting all the right. time. So uh, a little bit of both. No, I agree. I, I think the teams that are run the right way, they mix in whether it's shooting contests or, or structured right. shooting workouts and, and then also the player development stuff. But listen, man, I, I do think at some point like a player – has to take responsibility. Like, it, I've played for Stan. I've heard guys say, like, oh, man, we didn't shoot any and shoot around. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I, I just spent 20 minutes after shoot around getting 150 shots up. So I did my shooting for the day. You know, so I, I, right. I do get your point. I think it's a little bit of both. You had mentioned when you were talking about getting traded to Phoenix, just getting to the right situation. And, and so much of the NBA, I think, is that for a lot of guys, and I don't know what the percentages are, whether it's 80% or 90%, but it's a very high percentage of NBA players that need to be in the right situation yes. for them to really shine and get to play their game. I mean, listen, if you put LeBron or Kevin Durant or Chris Paul on any of the other 29 teams they're not on, those guys are still going to be LeBron and KD and CP. Like, that's just facts. But for a lot of other guys – and I'm talking like the fringe all-star guys here and, and maybe fringe rotation players and maybe even fringe NBA players, if they get in the right situation, they can really shine. So you talked about Phoenix. You got traded here to L.A. and, and you were hurt. You had some nagging injuries coming into the season and things didn't kind of work out. But I still feel like this would have been and should have been a great situation for you. Looking back two years later, do you feel that way? Yes. Before I answer the question, I want to talk about I mean, I want to say that you're right about players being the right situation because I was, I was talking about this with a couple other NBA players, Kawhi Leonard. Right. Kawhi Leonard stays on the Indiana Pacers instead of being drafted by them and getting traded to San Antonio. Does he have the same career as a player? You, you would hope so. But he's right. not in that same situation. You don't get developed the same way. You probably back up Paul George how it is. He, <laughs> he always would have been a good defensive player, but you're right. The situation is key. So, and that's something you could debate. I mean, you, you will never yeah. know the answer, and right. it, it's cool to talk about. But I, I just think that when I was in Phoenix in that role, and who would have thought a team that wants to outscore you, I'm going to be on that team uh, on a fast, athletic team that shoots threes. No, who would have thought that of me when I was at BC? So, <laughs> right. the key the right. key word in the NBA is you have to be adaptable. You have to, oh be able to adapt God. to every said it. situation. You said it. And I feel like, you know, it's funny because your, your game can adapt, right? You know, it's like, uh, I've gotten better in this area, or I've gotten worse, whatever. But for the majority of NBA players, like, you essentially, your role, whether minor or major, your role adapts every single year. Your role yes. can adapt within the season. Your role can adapt from week to week, from month to month. I mean, it changes all the time. You, you nailed it on the head. Yes. No, you, you have to be able to. So, I mean... When I got traded to Phoenix, I was happy just because I was going back to the West Coast. I was playing with Steve Nash. But there's never been a time where I've been traded where I was more excited than going to the Clippers, where yeah. I was going basically to my hometown team. I'm from San Diego. It used to be the San Diego Clippers. I get to play with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, where at that time, you know, pick and roll, I was the three. And you could not have told me that it wasn't going to be a great situation. I, Doc Rivers, when I was in Phoenix, was talking to him. When he used to play for Boston, was, you know, we would have side conversations. Hey, Jerry, right. hey, we, might, we might be coming to come get you. Yeah, uh, yeah. To be able to play with him and to pair with you as a shooter, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, and I, I thought it was going to be perfect. And that being said, at that time, a lot of people thought I might have been overweight. I might have done this. I mean, for me, it's just... Uh, we talked about this numerous times. I mean, yeah, it, it was it was the most injury plague season I ever. Yeah. I couldn't move, and for me, yeah. when I'm hurt, I'm yeah. gonna be, you know, terrible basketball player. Listen, because hey, you and me both. Our margin of error athletically is small. so small. So if we have this the smallest injury, it shows up. There's no question. Done. There's no question. I, I don't know if people really know this, but you know, you had went to Doc earlier in the season and and, and said, hey, you know, I'm kind of banged up. 
I think Matt was dealing with something with his eye or something. Calf. Calf, yeah. And then I broke my wrist. So there were times, and then CP separated his shoulders. There was a few times there where Doc was saying to you, hey, you know, JD, we're going to get you some rest. We're going to shut you down. We're going to get you right. And then we just kept having one injury after another, and there just never really ended up being a time for you to get that rest. And what's interesting now, I look back and it's like, you know, (laughs) during this stretch right now, like, you would fit perfectly. Like, you know, we're playing four out, one in. We're playing spread, pick, and roll. Like, you as, you know, kind of like that stretch four right now on our team. Man, it would be nice. I want to jump into that right now, too, because you got traded the following summer again to Milwaukee from L.A., and you basically for the last two years have played primarily as a four, as kind of like a small ball four, and you've been incredibly effective doing it. Sometimes guys have kind of an issue with like the the labeling of a position, right? No, no, I'm not I'm not playing three, I'm a two, or I'm not playing right. three, I'm a four. You know, in today's NBA, the positions are so interchangeable. I'm assuming with you there was no issue, but just talk about like you've essentially you had a, a down year here and then you've re- revitalized your career playing a different position and playing a different role. Like I said, you know, when I got traded the Clippers, happiest I ever when I got traded to Milwaukee, I was down. I was down at a point where, at that time, when you got traded to Milwaukee, it was looked at as a negative thing. Their organization was in shambles at that time. And I was thinking, like, why? Why is this happening to me in a sense? I was, I was low-key pissed. And who would have thought at that time it was the best thing for me, where I could go there. It was the worst team in the NBA record-wise the year before. We make the playoffs. And I had a chance to, in a way, not only people always think about when you have to adapt and you have to add value to yourself, not only did I add value to myself switching to the small ball, but I had value to myself was, hey, now I'm a vet where I'm having to groom young people where that adds value to NBA teams and organizations. So it's me being able to help out Giannis and Jabari. And with Jabari tearing his ACL at that time, I got to play a lot of small ball. And for me, I look at myself only as a stretch four. I don't even look at myself at the three because, for one, my value at the stretch four is so yeah. much higher than it is at the three because, for one, I notice now, even when I play now, teams adapt to me more than what we adapt to teams because yeah. they want to go small with me. Hey, let's switch pick and rolls. So then now my point guard should have an advantage every time going against your your stretch four. So if you have even Anthony Davis, to be able to keep John Wall in front of you is going to be tough for 48 minutes. And then now that I've gotten used to the stretch four where you can pick and pop, now when I catch the ball and I go downhill to drive, the spacing so much it's more spread out because yeah. you're at the top yeah. compared to when you're at the wing. So now, right. like Blake, you know, have you seen when you're, you know, for the Clippers, you see yeah. how he throws a lot. There's so much yeah. space. And then right. yeah, I I mean, you're, you're kind of touching on that. And that's one of the reasons Blake is so good because his decision making out of those short rolls and when he's going downhill he can throw the lob to DJ he can kick to the corner for Amir Jamal to shoot a three and and when you kind of brought this up my immediate thought the person I think of is Draymond Green it seems like he's always playing downhill at the top of the key he gets the ball whether it's a switch whether they're trapping Curry whether it's a swing pass he's just always getting it at the top of the key playing downhill and because he's the four it's so spread out. There's one big, and he can drive, and he can make all the plays, and he's taken full advantage of this small ball era in the NBA. Do you see this as a a blip in the NBA's history? Oh, this is small ball. It started with Phoenix. It, you know, Orlando continued it in the early 2008, 2009, and then it really caught fire around 2015. Do you see this as a blip, or is this something that the game has now changed forever? I think the game has now changed forever. But when it comes to Draymond Green, I want to say is, for one, Draymond has benefited more from the small ball than anyone I've seen because, for one, he's a great player. But for yeah. two is, he has arguably the best shooter of all time on his team that plays the point guard position. So with him, you have no choice but to get the ball out of Steph Curry's hands. So when you do, the trap is usually above the three. So he's always playing four on three mostly throughout the whole game. You have to because you can't switch on him because he's embarrassing your bigs. Even when you do the bigs are late, he's shooting close to 50% from three, especially, I mean, and imagine when he's wide open compared to, he probably takes the most contested threes. Right. 
I mean, so his dad. Dray- Draymond can always go down to the post too and play bully ball. Like that's that's an option too if they switch. Yes. So so there's not there, there's not a lot of good options when playing the Warriors. I mean, that's that's just reality. I mean, we we right. played them twice. We played them tough twice. But you know, you're, you're essentially saying, all right, we're going to play Curry straight up, or we're you know we're going to double and we're going to live with Draymond making plays and Iguodala and Barnes shooting threes. Like there, right. you, you have to make choices. There's no easy choices. And and you know specifically in our second game. Iguodala and Barnes killed us in the second half. They led the comeback. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, that team is and then selfishness and the way they play. It's a joy to watch. Everyone loves watching them play unless you have to play them. Um, but I will say the reason why I think small ball is here to stay is because of how the NBA has changed the rules of having to guard people. You no longer can be physical with the person on the ball. The spacing and hand checking, and 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 I know this best. But we just played James Harden last night. It's almost impossible to guard someone who can get to the free throw line, shoot the ball, and has handles like a la Steph Curry, James Harden, because you cannot touch them. And in a way, is they can go out of their shooting motion, flare their arms, and they're going to get to the line. If even if your arm, even if your arm is not in a fouling position, they can seek your arm, seek your body. Mm-hmm. And so you have to give so much space to that person when it's tough when someone like those guys can shoot the three, can step back. So you have to have other players to space the floor to right. give your stars the most spacing. And that's kind yeah. of how, you know, the Clippers with Blake. And you, you try to do that with Blake and CP because they're, they're dominating one-on-one players. So that's why having you, that's why they try to trade for me. And and you see the sex you guys are having even with Blake out. It's small ball, and it's just more pick and rolls with CP and DJ, and you, and you can't put your hands on them. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to guard. I think, the, too, the, another part of small ball that is really important is just the analytical side. And so much uh, of an emphasis now from teams on three-point shooting, it's basically layups, threes, and free throws. You know, those are the, the, the shots that teams want. And... To get, I think, your best shooters good shots, you need to have spacing. You need to have, you know, three or four guys out there that can really shoot the ball. And with the emphasis on the analytics in front offices, guys like Draymond, guys like yourself, Ryan Anderson, uh, are going to have a lot of value in this league going forward. Uh, I want to touch briefly on, on your guys' season right now. Uh, big win last night in Houston by one. You, you had a great game. But you guys have been a little inconsistent. John has played well. You're having a great year. Marcin is having a great year. Is this inconsistency because of a structural flaw with your team, or is this is this strictly because you guys have had a ton of injuries? Nene's been out a ton. Bradley Beal, Gary Neal, Alan Anderson the whole season. I mean, what, what, is, what is going on in Washington? Yeah, I think the inconsistency early on was – you didn't know we, we we didn't first you have to mesh. You know, anytime you bring a new team together yeah. and new pieces, Gary Neal, myself, Alan Anderson, and they basically changed their style. They were two bigs and they wanted to go to the small ball. That's why they traded yeah. for me. They we actually first started Chris Humphreys at the power forward. He was shooting I think he had career thirteen makes in his whole career and then he <laughs> shot, you know, thirteen within the first two games. <laughs> you know, so it just right. told you the analytics and his style. Well, he worked on all summer. So I think at first was, hey, changing of the systems. Hey, small ball, this is how it's going to be. And then two was the injuries of the inconsistency of who's going to play, when they're going to play. You lose Bradley Beal, who in the beginning of the season, you could not have told me he wasn't going to be an all-star. He was right there neck and neck with John Wall. He was averaging like 24, super athletic. Him being out is a huge void because when teams, when you go small ball, sometimes teams want to switch. Kind of like when we played you guys as the Clippers. Mm-hmm. When you guys go small, we go small, and you switch all pick and rolls. you got to have one guy say, hey, I'm better than you. You cannot guard me by, by yourself. And we don't right. really have that. And Bradley Bill is that X factor for us where, hey, you right. can put your best defender on. We're going to screen and roll, and you switch. He's he's a one-on-one killer and that's something yeah, he's going to still he's going to still get his numbers and give you right. offense and all that yeah and shoot, and, and shoot a good percentage you know some people right. you know you know how jamal crawford is hey people look at that shot his shot selection like hey it's not good shots but for jamal crawford those are perfect shots those are his shots so <laughs> right. we had that right. losing nene 
who is huge for the for the Wizards, who's huge for us, where it's huge size, passing ability, can score in the post. And then now we're starting to get healthy, Brad's back, um, and now it's like, hey, what type of team are we? Oh, are we a too big? Are we a space? Are we going to be consistent? And that's where we're at right now, where we're going back and forth between small and two bigs, where Brad's coming back in the game. He, he's our sixth man now instead of starting because of his limit restrictions. So right. I do believe our next 40 games will have a better record. But that being said is that's not guaranteed for a playoffs. As you see the East, it's yeah, all much, everyone's close. Yeah, much more competitive this year. I think that's one of the big – Storylines in the NBA this year is just how competitive the East is, how much parity there is in the East. And I don't know that there's a ton of dominant teams. I still think the West is more top-heavy, but the East certainly has improved when everyone last year was saying, you know, it wasn't a great conference. Well, it, it, it is a great conference, and these things are cyclical, and it always comes back. Hey, let me take a minute to tell you guys about SeatGeek. All right, whether you're looking to buy tickets to an event or sell tickets that you can't use – you need to check out SeatGeek. It's the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for concerts and for your favorite teams. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you the time. It knows the fair market value of every ticket, and SeatGeek uses that information to show you the best deals and help you find the best seats. If you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you price your tickets on their site so that you can sell them quickly to another fan who wants to use them. SeatGeek also has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there, and it always shows you the full price up front. And here's a sweet deal. If you listen to this podcast, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. Easy enough, right? Just two letters, JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. Awesome. This is the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. All right, and we're back with Jared Dudley. All right, Jared, I'm going to give you a few quick hitters here. One or two word answers. Elaborate if you feel necessary. Favorite teammate ever? Steve Nash. I knew you were going to say that. And I've heard that from so many people. Why why is that? The most unselfish superstar I've ever been around where he, he literally is the teammate first. He always told me, Jerry, when I pass you the ball, I'm passing you the ball because I know you have an advantage. So when I'm coming off a pick and roll, I'm going to throw you the ball where I'm going to have the defender running out on you or enough where I know you can just catch and shoot because I know that my strength wasn't to put the ball down the floor. So he right. always put me in that. And then, I mean, off the floor, invite me over to his house, talk to me about nutrition, helping me understand. I mean, he by far, and I've had a, a lot of great teammates. Yeah. J.J. Reddick being one, for sure. Great teammate. Even, you know, <laughs> great teammate. And also, you know what, J.J., I mean, I also had Steve for five years. So when you have someone five years, you go through it, the playoff, the grind. Oh, man. I mean, hey, you guys man. had great teams. The Western Conference Finals. I mean, it's I get it, man. That, that guy, uh, I think, is the epitome of, of a pro, the epitome of an unselfish superstar, as you said. Right. All right. If you are building a team for success – your goal over the next four to five years is to win a championship. Who's your first pick? Who's your number one guy? Who's the guy you want to build around right now? Stephen Curry. He <laughs> is the best player in the NBA right now. Okay. I know people, you know, my father shocked LeBron. I love LeBron's game. I love a lot of people. Anthony Davis is, you know, Kevin Durant. What Steph Curry's doing right now, we have not seen in NBA history. That's, just, that's how bold I am to say that we're <laughs> – how he shoots off the dribble so much easier for everyone else to score because he puts so much pressure on the pick and roll of having centers and power forwards to have to play 30 feet or 25 feet from the basket where they're not comfortable and and to be able to use his handles to be able to get separation, step back, different change of speeds. It's incredible. I, I don't know if I've seen anyone improve as much as he has in the last three or four years. And what he's doing, I don't think we've ever seen in NBA history. And that's a bold statement to say. That is a bold statement. He is transcendent right now. I don't know if there's a better word to describe what he's doing. It is remarkable how much he's improved and the level 
of play that he's he's performing at right now, especially given the expectation level for him coming out of college. It's not like LeBron or KD, these guys that, you know, there was an expectation that they would become superstar MVP level players. Steph has just has just done it and he's done it better than anyone. All right. Biggest all star snub this year. Hmm. It's a good question. Let me think real quick. Biggest all-star. I'm gonna give you mine. I'm gonna give you mine. Let me hear this. Okay. Everyone said the Blazers would tank this year. They basically lost four starters. Damian Lillard was the lone starter back. He's sixth in the league in scoring. He's averaging about a little less than 25 points a game. And they're right there for the eighth seed. Uh, So Damian Lillard, to me, should have been an all-star. And I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to get into who you should have taken off of the 12 guys. But I'm in the camp that believes there should be 15 all-stars per conference. And I don't think that's watered down. When they first made the all-star game and they did, all right, we're going to have you know two teams from each conference. They said, we're going to have 12 guys. I don't even know how many teams there were at that point. Ten teams, eight teams. It was something like 15 to 20% of all NBA players were named all-stars. So let's – we got 30 teams now. There's 450 guys in the league. We can, we can name 30 all-stars instead of 24. That's That sounds pretty logical to me. All right, give me your snub. Well, you know what? I, I will say Damian Lillard would have gone, but you have Kobe this year who, you know, is his last all-star, so he's going to take a spot from someone, and as he should – he, you know, this is last year, so you know what? I could see that. But you know what? You know what? I believe in winning matters. So if, if you had to take someone out, maybe you, you got to take out Anthony Davis. Maybe you got to take out some of these guys that are in the playoffs, even though he is an all star. Winning should matter. So my all star stuff, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone. What about DeAndre Jordan? Now, and the reason I'll say about yeah. DeAndre is this as a society, as an NBA, we love offense. <laughs> James yeah. Harden, boom, all star. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we we take we take away the other home point of defensively, and I say this because I've seen DeAndre play. I've seen his improvement. I've seen different stuff, and and especially when I played, when we played against him, just how he can dominate the paint. I mean, if you guys don't have DeAndre Jordan on your team, it, I mean. The way he rebounds the basketball, the way he defends, where you guys can pressure, pick and roll, be aggressive. Yes, he's a terrible free throw shooter. Okay, we get that. <laughs> and you have to take him out, and you do the hack of DeAndre, and it's it's terrible basketball. Shooting seventy one percent from the field right now. Right. He's you're seeing when Blake's not there and the space is open up even more, he's scoring the basketball more. So what does he have to do to become an all-star? Yes, you have, you got, you know, Booby, a cousin's my fault. What center? I mean, you see, you saw Drummond in the East, him finally get over the hump. So similar scenario to, let's say, Atlanta last year. Let's say we have a record like the Spurs or the Warriors at the midway point of the season. There's no question DeAndre's getting in. I think you're, I think what you're saying is correct. But there's an element to winning that is only rewarded if you're really, really winning. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? No, it's I, like it's, Atlanta got four guys in last year because they were far and away, you know, the best team in the East up to that point. So I get what you're saying. I do think DeAndre will be an all-star at some point in his career, and his credentials certainly would make an argument to be an all-star you know, I, I wasn't going to homer it and, and t- say that my biggest all-star snub was my own teammate. I'm, I'm right. not going to go that Can't far. That. But All right. You know what? We're done with basketball. We're not going to talk basketball anymore. The end of every podcast with me, there's going to be a segment called Four on Four. I'll let you figure out the play on words. But for this week's Four on Four with Jared Dudley, we're going to talk about four overrated things. Now, as an athlete, we often get called overrated um, during my time at Duke. That was a common thing said to me. JJ, you're overrated. (laughs) Thank you. So, in a sense, it takes one to know one. So, the four things we're going to talk about are things that are universally loved, universally acclaimed, things that not many people would argue as overrated, but I'm going to make an argument that they are overrated. So my first overrated item would have to be the Beatles. Wow. I'm in the minority here. Full disclosure, about eight years ago, I went to see Cirque du Soleil, the Beatles one. Mm 
mm-hmm. um, at the Mirage in Vegas, and I was really hungover, and I hadn't eaten anything all day, and it was like 6 p.m., and I just wanted some Chipotle, and the whole show freaked me out. So I'm kind of scarred as it is from the Beatles music because of that, but I, I, I listen, I've listened to Abbey Road seven or eight times. I just don't get it. I just, the, their music doesn't seem as timeless to me as some other popular bands and other acts. For me, I'm, I'm a Bruce Springsteen guy. So his early stuff, Greetings from Asbury Park, his Born to Run album, even the Nebraska album in the early 80s, like that to me is timeless music. Um, so I'm a Beatles hater. Uh, Jared, do you like the Beatles? I'm not going to say uh, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I, for me, I, I wouldn't put them in the category of being overrated. And I went to that same Circus Soleil in Vegas at the Mirage, and because you know, and going there, I got you get to hear all their different music, all their different acts, and I'm a huge. Yeah. I've been to all the Circus Soleil. Yeah, I have too. I've been to all of them. I have, but yes, I, not the I wouldn't Beatles put it as the best, but I wouldn't put it as the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't you know, put it as the so, worst either. You know, I'm in the middle. The, the, the yeah. one in Treasure Island, that yeah. one to me by yeah. far is the worst. Um, and and no, listen, I, I'm actually not saying that the Beatles' Cirque du Soleil is overrated. I'm saying the right. Beatles in general, like, <laughs> yeah, right. their music um, is overrated. Yeah, and listen, he, listen, I, Paul McCartney is a timeless act. I get it, man. He still, you know, he's, he sells out 100,000 football stadiums. I get it, man. Like, you know, he's, he's awesome. But I just, you know, people... People seem to put them on this pedestal like they're the greatest rock band of all time. I don't know. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. All right, number two, most overrated thing on this week's 4 and 4, and I'm going to get a lot of slack for this, Breaking Bad. The television show Breaking Bad is overrated. And this is a show that some say, and you might be one of these people, is the best television show of all time. So I watched the show um, not live, you know, with everyone else. I didn't get any of the water cooler talk on, on Monday mornings or whatever. I watched the show two summers ago, uh, in its entirety, um, you know, season one all the way through. And, um, I mean, it was a good show. I don't think it was a bad show, but sometimes I just think you, things need to be left unsaid. And that show was kind of like, Oh, you know, it's like I'm more of a madman person where it's like it's understated. There's subtlety to the, you know, script. There's subtlety to the dialogue. Are you a Breaking Bad fan? You know what? I'm with you on this one. Now, my brother yes. is the biggest Breaking Bad fan. And I actually went to Twitter, like, asking, hey, what show should I get into next? Because I'm a huge, like, Games of Thrones type guy. Okay, That's yeah, my yeah. style, you know? Sure. So everyone's like, Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad. And my brother, I want to say, either with my birthday or Christmas, he brought me all the DVDs of Breaking Bad. And I put it in the first season. And I, I, after that, I was like, hey, what, what's up with all the hype? I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And they said, oh, Jerry, the first season is slow. It's going to pick up, trust me. And I'm right there with you. Uh, I am with you on this, and we, you, and me, we probably are the minority on this one. Okay, um, right. and maybe you know that's fine. I, I, I so just what, so see. is Game of Thrones your favorite television show ever? Wow! Like, what is your like for me? I'm just I said it earlier, but Mad Men is my favorite show ever. I think it's a it's a great show. So that's my favorite. What's yours? I think growing up for me was like Martin. You know, you know, okay. Black Kid and stuff like that. Like how he did? Yeah, just, for sure. You know, Early on, I, I did watch that. Martin. By the way, like just because I'm white doesn't mean you watched Martin? Watch did you? Yeah, okay. I watched it growing up, man. Come on, man. I, I used to I used to make rap music. Come on, man. Okay. Yeah. So you know, definitely that growing up was definitely for me. Um, right. I, I was I got into I was huge into Law and Order at one point in time. My mom being a lawyer, having yeah. that, and then Games of Thrones. Yeah, Games of Thrones right now is by far. I mean, and that when it comes out, oh, every time on that Thursday, I'm watching. It. Right. I already know April fifteenth that first episode. So yes, I'm huge in Games of Thrones. Huge. All right, love it, love it. All right, third item, most overrated Cabernet. I just don't like Cabernet. I like Pinot. I don't drink a ton. Uh, obviously, I'm a professional athlete. I, I don't think I could function if I drink a ton. But <laughs> during the off season, and you know, like tonight, I, we don't play again until Wednesday. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have some food. I'm have a glass of wine, and I'm going to have a glass of, uh, of Pinot. And I really like French Pinot, so I like stuff from Burgundy. But I just can't can't wrap my head around the obsession with Cabernet. And I've had good Cabernet, I've had really bad Cabernet, but there's something about people that say, I just like like a big, bold glass of wine or like a big, bold wine. I, I, 
I think that Cabernet is drowning in alcohol. There's no subtlety to it. And maybe this goes back to my my thing with television shows. I just like things that are more nuanced and subtle. So for me, I think Cabernet is a very overrated grape. Jared? And you know what? And this is probably why I'm, I'm against you. It's like the first one where <laughs> I'm not a big drinker, much more of a, a social drinker. Um, right. But I remember going to Italy with my, you know, my wife and my um, brother and doing the wine tasting and, and doing di- and trying different Cabernets. I mean, and you know what? I, I just feel like, you know, it, it's a good taste. Now, certain, I mean, not all of them, I don't feel that way about every single one. But overall, I mean, I, I'm more for, I, don't, I would not put that in the overrated category. You know, I'm not Popovich where I, I, I got all the wine. <laughs> I got a wine cellar in my house with everything. But, right, you know, right. Mean, a good Cabernet. You're not pulling out the reserve list at every no, restaurant you I'm go to. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I, uh, you know, can I get the sommelier? Can I get the sommelier? Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> right, but some Italian food, some steak. I'm at the house chilling. Okay. All right. Right. That's that's essentially, you know, when I drink, man. Listen, I, everybody likes to have a good glass of wine and a good craft beer occasionally. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. For my fourth overrated item, I'm going to have to go to you. Uh, I want to hear your overrided item. That's going to be our fourth. Just to be clear, some honorable mention things that almost made it into my most overrated. The Foo Fighters, Carnitas, Veganism, and CrossFit. All right, Jared, for number four, <laughs> your most your most overrated thing. My most overrated thing is the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. And <laughs> I, I, I was thinking hard about this, and, and wow. I'm going to tell you why. For one... When I played on the Clippers with you, you had DeAndre Jordan, yeah. Chris Paul, huge, huge Cowboy fans. You look at the NBA, you have LeBron James, you have it's America's team. That's what they say, America's team where hasn't won a championship over 20 years. I think it's the most overrated organization in all of sports. And the reason why I'm going to say this is because, most, I mean, usually when you grow up, you support your home team. Usually right. growing up. Right. I would say the Cowboy organization has more fans. That bandwagon are bandwagon fans. Bandwagon fans. But my whole thing is now, how can they be bandwagon fans now? <laughs> they haven't won. So my whole thing, like 21 wins, and we've got right. one or two playoff wins in 10 right. years. I mean, right. they dog them. They're on Sports Center more than any team. The Patriots are winning Super Bowls left and right. you got Steelers have won, you know, just as many championships. I mean, but we talk about the Cowboys like these guys are winning the Super Bowl. Every, <laughs> it, it disgusts me. And I'm like, why? You know, am I a Cowboy hater? Yes. I'm a okay. cowboy hater because I feel like you give <laughs> props to who's good. Let's give props to Seattle. Let's give props to the Patriots. Let's talk. About, I mean, hey, when the season's over, it, or it's going to talk about Tony Romo's surgery. It's going to talk about what's Jerry Jones doing. Like, is is Johnny Manziel going there? Who cares? It's the right. Cowboys. Let's talk, let's talk about Cam Newton and his dominance. Why don't we talk about that instead of exactly Tony? Okay, I get. I I, I listen. So, me, I get what I, you're saying. I do think there are certain organizations that get an undue amount of media coverage and I'm not a media basher by any means. Um, I'm now part of the media by the way, cause I have my own podcast, but yes, you, you know, I, I think, I do think the Cowboys are one of those organizations that you're right. They haven't won anything. They haven't won anything in what? 21 years. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. And they, and looked it they up. Had, 1985, <laughs> 21 years. All right, Jared can't thank you enough for, the amount of time and insight you've given us uh, before you go, how did we do on my first podcast? Pretty good, right? It is pretty good. You know what? You, you have a bright future. You know how to, you know, you're going to be different. You're going to be unique. You're going to talk about everything. You're not going to be just sports. You're going to bounce around and people are going to see your personality. I'm glad I was the first one. So there'll be a trivia question. I'll be in that one, baby. I love it. And you're always welcome back on. Thank you so much, Jared Dudley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can tweet me at JJ Reddick for questions that I will be answering on the podcast. And you can also leave questions and reviews on the iTunes podcast review page. I'd also like to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek. And we'll talk to you next week. One of the topics we will discuss next week is my arm sleeve. I'm finishing my tattoo today later this has been a digital media production find your voice find your voice